1: Coming up a little bit later on in the program, a bit of a reprieve for those living on boats and mooring boats at the Mosquito Creek Marina. After a meeting last night, after all of those people were told, you need to be out by the end of May, we are going to connect with one of those residents to find out what is happening at that marina and if it's even possible to find another place to moor a boat anywhere around Metro Vancouver. So that's coming up on the program right now, though. We are taking a look at something that, well, you either believe it or you don't. At least I think those are the two camps people might fall into. How did, how exactly does hypnosis work? Well, my next guest knows all about that. Dr. Devin Terhune is a reader in experimental psychology at King's College London, and he joins us on the line now. Thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, no problem.
0: Happy to speak about hypnosis.
1: Why don't we start there? What exactly is hypnosis? What what is happening to somebody when they're being hypnotized?
0: Sure. I mean, so there's two kind of ways at the at first step to think about what hypnosis is. One is the classic view is to view hypnosis just kind of as some type of altered state of consciousness. So you induce hypnosis through hypnotic induction, you put them in this altered state of consciousness, and one of the features of this altered state is that people are more responsive to verbal suggestions. Um so um, that, that type of approach is, is, is often kind of frowned upon because uh, there's not actually a lot of really strong neurophysiological and neuroimaging data to demonstrate that hypnosis is some type of distinct altered state of consciousness. So I think a, a superior way to think about these things is to view just hypnosis as a set of procedures. So just like we might view meditation and mindfulness-based practices as a set of procedures, we've used hypnosis as a set of procedures involving some type of hypnotic induction, and the induction is there to basically to enhance or increase an individual's capacity to respond to verbal suggestions. And then afterwards, we give somebody a set of verbal suggestions. And so I think that's kind of a simpler, uh, more straightforward way of thinking about hypnosis in a way that's less theory-laden and making a lot of assumptions. Now. As you can see, one of the core features then of hypnosis are verbal suggestions. So suggestions are just typically communications for a change in your experience or behavior that is typically experienced in kind of an involuntary way. So a classic verbal suggestion might be something like, this procedure is going to reduce your pain. So it's phrased as something that is happening to you as opposed to something you're willfully producing. And as you can see, hopefully, by the way I phrased that, This procedure will reduce your pain. Verbal suggestions are also a common ingredient in phenomena like the placebo effect, right? So verbal suggestions are an important ingredient, placebo, nocebo, but also something like hypnosis. And that's a kind of a a starting point, that's a good way to think about hypnosis as a technique for harnessing verbal suggestions.
1: And I know it goes back, it has a, a lengthy history. And when did it actually start?
0: So it kind of uh, depends on on what historical kind of antecedent uh, phenomena events and interventions you want to think about. Uh, Typically, it's kind of, um, it's backdated to a phenomenon called uh, animal magnetism, sometimes called mesmerism. Um, And that was kind of where we first start to see evidence that verbal suggestions can have pronounced effects on subjective experience. Um, The term hypnosis really emerges in the 19th century um, in the UK and in France, um, and that's, and you know, what they called hypnosis at that point and the assumptions they're making certainly differ from those of today. But again, kind of that link with an altered state of consciousness and, a close link with verbal suggestion and the capacity to respond to verbal suggestions, but we see that as far back as a kind of mid uh, mid nineteenth century.
1: Hmm. Uh, you en- you mentioned pain or, or or verbal command to somebody or telling somebody uh, that you're no longer feeling pain. Is that something that it's it's used for as far as medical applications and helping people with with various conditions? Yes. I mean, so one thing that's
0: really important to emphasize about hypnosis is that it's not a panacea, so it doesn't work with everyone, it doesn't work with every symptom, and it doesn't work with every condition. Unfortunately, one of the problems with hypnosis is that a lot of people have made exaggerated claims about its efficacy in various types of contexts, and it presented as a panacea. Um, So some phenomena, it's not particularly that great with certain symptom domains, but pain in particular, it seems to have a good degree of efficacy. Um, We've known about that since the 19th century. So James Braid, who coined the term hypnotism, um, he was using hypnosis in the context of surgeries. Um, It continues to be used um, as an adjunct um, in surgical contexts. And it's known that if you use hypnosis alongside um, kind of more traditional analgesic drugs for pain reduction you can actually get patients to rec- um, to use the drugs less during the course of the surgery. So they rely less on the drugs um, because you're also including hypnosis and the verbal suggestions. Okay. Um, so and that's, that's been fairly consistently demonstrated that hypnosis can be valuable in reducing pain, also in chronic pain conditions, but also in laboratory uh, context, people without chronic pain conditions as well.
1: I know there's also been, it's been used, and I've uh, known people who have used it who are trying to quit doing things like smoking and and that kind of uh, a habit, if you're trying to kick that habit. You mentioned it's not for everybody. Is it that you have to be open to it and you have to believe that you can be hypnotized for it to work? Um,
0: Yes, so it's not it's not for everyone. um, And that's a a really important starting point. Um, And and just briefly about smoking, it is it can be efficacious for smoking, but it's important to emphasize that that's a good example of a case where it's not actually especially valuable compared with other interventions. So it tends to have fairly similar success rates for smoking cessation as other types of treatments, whereas it seems to be better in the domain of pain, for example. Mm. Um, But but yes, you're right you have to have an open mind. You have to be willing to kind of, um, to, uh, participate in the procedure, um, just like any, anything else. Right. So if you have, if you're trying to do psychotherapy with some patient and they don't want to do psychotherapy, then yeah, it's not really going to work. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of just a, a bit of a commonsensical thing. Uh, just like also, you know, if you don't really think your doctor really cares about you and they're, they don't really have your, their, your best, um, the best intentions or their, or your kind of, they're not very caring and respectful towards you, you're not really going to kind of benefit from, from you know, having sessions with your, with your doctor, right, and uh, appointments and so on. So it's kind of something similar to that. So you need to kind of really have some degree of belief, open mindedness willingness to participate, um, and a capacity to respond to verbal suggestions does seem to fairly reliably predict treatment outcomes, right? So people that are more responsive to hypnosis... This is sometimes termed hypnotizability or hypnotic suggestibility. Those individuals who are more responsive to hypnosis tend to be more responsive to therapeutic applications of hypnosis, as you would guess. It's not a perfect predictor though, and so if you're kind of more low in hypnotizability or low in hypnotic suggestibility, you can still benefit from hypnosis in certain contexts. And a big factor, of course, are things like just motivation, just how motivated you are, for the therapeutic intervention to work. That's a kind of a fairly common uh, predictor, both in hypnosis and in other contexts as well, of course.
1: All right, well, it's uh, very interesting, such an interesting field. Dr. Turhune, we'll leave it there for today, but thank you so much for your time. No problem. Thanks so much. Have a nice day. That is Dr. Devin Terhune, reader in experimental psychology at King's College London.